John and I are having a, a small competition as to who can tell the worst joke. And, and those of you who are last week know full well that I'm going to win this because it would be very difficult to tell a joke worse than the one that John told last week. So here's a very, very bad joke just to, just to wake you all up. This is one of my favorite ones, though. There we are. Where do you weigh a pie? Where do you weigh a pie? Somewhere over a rainbow. Weigh a pie. <laughs> no. Was that better than John's joke? <laughs> no? Sorry, John. I lose. I lose. You win. You, you, there we are. Okay. So we're going through... Sorry, Soph. I, I apologize for that terribly. It was a, a joke I first told Sophia. Right. Um, we're going through Nehemiah. And we're going through the whole book. And I'm covering this morning Nehemiah 11, uh, verse 1 to 12, 43. Now, that's quite a bit. Now, if you look at this and you read it through, you find that it's largely a long list. Okay? There's lots of things in this list to take out. But if you ask an academic like me to look at something like that, I'm probably going to get into all the little bits and all the clever bits, so I'm not. So we're going to look at this as a much broader picture. So this is the story so far. Let's make this simple. Nehemiah is a powerful official in the service of a king. God tells Nehemiah to go and build the walls of Jerusalem. Now, build the wall here. Don't think of a garden building, a little, you know, garden wall. It actually means the defensive walls, the whole castle wall around the whole of um, Jerusalem. So it's really reinforced, rearm Jerusalem. It's a big task. So off he goes and he does it. Right. Let's make this, the whole of Nehemiah, very simple. He comes across three different types of people. And they are, very simply, those who oppose him, those who work with him, and those who aren't sure. Okay? Those are the three types of people he comes across. And we see these coming across in the stories. Now, I'd like you to take this picture of building a wall as a picture that God is giving us for each of us. Every one of us has a task in life. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, wherever you are at the moment, God has in front of you a task that he's asking you to do. Sometimes it can be very simple. Sometimes it can be very complicated. It doesn't matter. It's the task God gave you. And there are three types of people who are responding to what God gives them. Those who oppose those who help, and those who really aren't quite sure yet. Now, when, when we ask ourselves, what is the task I am doing, the next thing you have to remind yourself is what you do affects other people. It's not just between you and God. It is between you and everybody else. I had a little surprise, a little shock recently. Um, our grandchildren kept using a certain word. Uh, 
every time they wanted something or they were going to give an explanation, they'd come up with this little phrase, basically, I want, or basically, I kept saying, right, this, this is, you've got to stop this. It just, it's getting on my nerves. So basically, I'd like you, ah, you just said it. <laughs> ah. And it, it dawned on me and on them that the person who'd started this off was actually me. So I had to be very careful when I'm telling them not to say basically. They are now picking me up on basically. So if I say basically any time during this sermon, you could just shout out, basically! <laughs> right? Stop me doing it. But the message is this, that things that I do affect other people. So how we make this decision as to whether or not we are serving God and building his walls or whether we are not, or whether we're not sure, doesn't only affect you. It affects other people as well. It's a very, very important question. In fact, it's the question that's not only going to alter your life now, it's going to alter your life in times to come. In fact, it alters your eternal life. Now, at this point, I could go into a gospel message and talk about that we need Jesus on the cross. But I think in this church, we accept that. We know that. I'm just going to make the statement that the only way to find peace with God is by understanding what Jesus did on the cross. I want to go past that. I want to come down to people now who have sort of made that decision, sort of trying to follow God in their lives. But this question is still there. How are you following God? Are you trusting him for day-to-day -day living? Or are you, if you like, you think you are, but you're in the middle? When Nehemiah told them to build the wall, there was this time when they had to go out on the wall and they had a trowel in one hand. And what did they have in the other? A sword. Because it was a continual battle. Don't have the idea that God is sort of like, uh, say this respectfully or whatever, but we see it all the time, God is a sort of fairy godmother or fairy godfather you can call on when you want him to do what you want him to do. You know, so much of our prayer actually comes down to giving God advice. You think about this carefully, you know, we pray for things, you're actually saying to God, I think you should be doing this, God. You know, someone has a problem, and you say, I'll pray for you. And then you, you sit before God and Basically, you tell God what he should do. <laughs> See, I did. I, it, well done. Yeah, that, that's, what I, that's, that's what I do affects other people, even if I don't know it. Yes, and I, I, it's, the habit came from me. I have to, have, to, have to hold my hand up and say, yeah, I, I did that. Okay, what was I talking about? <laughs> but what? Sword, yes, yes, sword. And, and so life is a struggle, okay? Life is a struggle. What God promises you is to be with you in the struggle. There's nothing in the scripture about he is here to take your struggle away. So much so that how did Christ redeem you? Through suffering. If Christ suffered on the cross to redeem you, you can expect that in this life you're going to have a fair amount of suffering. 
It's called being human. Here is the question. Are you one of Nehemiah's followers, helpers, who goes out to build the wall with your trowel in one hand and the sword in the other? Now, we know, what's the New Testament symbol of the sword? The Word of God, the Holy Spirit. How is your life going? Are you going through life battling with one hand and holding on to the Spirit and the Word of God in the other? Or are you in that sort of middle place, that the people who came along and, yeah, they sort of agree with Nehemiah and, yeah, we're going to do this, but it was all a bit half-hearted. It didn't really happen. Or are you, I doubt you would be, or you wouldn't be here in church this morning, are you one of the people who is saying, no, I am not going to follow God at all? Those are the three sort of people that Nehemiah faced. And all of us come into one of those categories. And to be honest, it's not easy. We think we're following God sometimes, but we're not. We, we're tending to, Christmas is coming, you know, God is Father Christmas, please do this for me, please do that for me, please do this. The Lord's Prayer is, thy kingdom come, not my kingdom come. Whose will be done? Thy will be done, not my will be done. So life is a struggle. God promises to be with us as we go through the struggle. And this, I think, is still a decision. It's a decision to say, I'm going to serve God and then look to him to be with you. And those are the, the three people that Nehemiah faced. Now, this is a little experiment. I'm going to see if I can get away with this. Is it easy to do the right things for God? No. Okay. Now, this is a bit of a philosophical question. Is it easy to do the right thing? Well, the Bible tells us what's right, so it should be easy. No. I'm going to make a statement to you now. It's impossible to do the right thing. Right? Why? Well, pretty simple if you think about it. Who is perfect? God, and we sang it this morning, God and God alone. So unless you're God, you're not going to get it right. So one of the keys for life is accepting that, that you're not going to get it right, that you need God to help you through those moments where you're not going to get it right. It is, in fact, impossible to get anything right. Now, I would love to unpack that for you. Philosophically, mathematically, physically, everywhere you look, everything boils down in the end to an area of shade of grey. And this is, I think, God's message to us. You're not going to get it right. Anybody know the very simple theology in the New Testament that sums that up? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, we can unpack the Greek word here, which is a wonderful Greek word, and we translate it as sin. You might have heard it is to miss the mark. It's actually deeper than that. It cuts deeper than that. And it basically means you're not going to get it right. You have to... Thank you. Sorry, every time I say basically, I have to apologize to Sophia, who I've been telling off for saying basically for so long. Yeah, see, it's, what I do affects other people. 
and what you do affects other people. All right? You're not going to get it right. So therefore, you have to live your life in this sort of uh, position of, I'm not going to get it right, but I can. God offers you this. He offers you, I'll be with you. And just as the work of the cross saves you from the eternal judgment of God, I'm not going to unpack this morning. I'm just going to say it. The work of the cross also is there to help you deal with the day-to-day failures and slip-ups in life. That's what Jesus offers you. This is what God offers you. Because if I, as soon as I accept that I'm not going to get it all right, I realize I'm depending upon God, not me. Now, God asks you to try. And we read that passage this morning, which we will look at in, in a couple of seconds, because it tells us how God wants us to try. Why did God choose David? Because of his heart. That's what the scripture says. He wasn't the tallest. He wasn't the biggest. He wasn't the best. He was the smallest of all the sons. And God chose him for his heart. And this is the lesson that we can learn. And what I love about this list in Nehemiah is as you go through it, there's so many different people named. God knew everyone. And there's different um, occupations named. Some were gatekeepers, some were priests, some were soldiers. There's a lot of musicians named. God knows you, and he knows you're not perfect. And no matter what your role in the building of the wall, God has your name on a list. Whatever your role. And he also knows you're not going to get it right. And he's saying, right, go out there, build the wall, get your trowel, that's to build it in one hand, and hold on to me with the other. All right? Now, I'm going to try this to see if this, this, um, this is a little example for, I love this, this is just a thing that amuses me, but seeing as John sold such a bad joke last week, I think I've got a right to try it. Okay, is this thing turned on? Right. Anybody know what that is? It's a middle C, A440. What's a sound wave? A sound wave is rattling the air, simple as that. Yeah, you've got, rattles the air. If I'm doing this, I'm actually making a sound. So low, you can't hear it. If I was a hummingbird, and I was doing this, you'd hear it. You can hear a fly, sort of bzzz level, because its wings are, but a mosquito is flapping faster. Okay? Now, this is really interesting, because what I'm going to show you now not only crosses all cultures, it crosses the very beginning of human existence. That's a C. Does that sound right? No, just to you, John, right? Not anybody else. Does that sound right? No. Yeah. Why do those two notes sound the same? Tell you why. Because mathematically, that flaps the air and that flaps it exactly twice as fast. We hear that, we call it an octave. That to me is amazing that you hear that. But this gets better. 
that's a G, that's exactly halfway between the other two. And you hear that as being a nice sound. This is nice. That's called a pentatonic scale. Do you know that archaeologists have dug up very, very ancient flutes that are thousands of years old and they play a pentatonic scale? So that is something that all human beings have find the same. I find that amazing. Now, this is the bit I want to show you, because this is the bit that's really clever, or but unusual. The other scale is... That's another scale we like. Right. But we've got that note, that note, that one in the middle. Between that note and that note, there are three notes. And that goes across all culture. You all hear three notes. Between this note and this note, which is the top note, there are two notes. There's two notes. What? That means that all human beings, over all culture, from all time, hear three notes in the bottom half and two notes in the top half. That's weird. But it's true. And the octave is exactly the same in all cultures. Now, here's one for you, one for John, everybody else. What does that mean? It means you cannot tune a musical instrument exactly. You can't do it. Every time we play any piece of music, it's wrong. I love that. <laughs> there are different ways of doing it. It can't be tuned. J.S. Bart worked this out when he did well-tempered player. Well, a well-tempered musician is not one with a good good temper, it's one who can hear the tuning. Right, and that might sound a bit complicated to you, but I just want to make the point I'm trying to make is this. You cannot get that exactly right. It's the basis of all music that goes way back to Nathandral men and women who had pentatonic flutes. You cannot get it right. You cannot get the notes in exactly the right place, but you'll hear it the same. You can't get it right. That's just one example. We could go through so many examples this morning to tell you you cannot get it right. Okay? God has created this world in a way that you cannot get it right. What this means is that, for me, one of the biggest growing points you can have as a Christian is to actually understand that. You can't get it right. You're not God. God can get that right. God created it. And every time I think about that, I just think this is weird. This note is in the middle of that note, but there's three down there and two up there. And that's how God did it. It's a mystery. It's, it's a wonderful little thing, but you can't get it right. What should I try and do then? How should I try and live if I can't get it right. Okay. Well, God, of course, tells us. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now this list is not supposed to be a limited list. This is, Paul is giving examples here. Against this list, he says, it could, be, could make this list longer. But the point is, let's le- read this through again. And every time I read one out, I want you to ask yourself, what is it? Is it an action that you do that can be right or wrong? Or is it an attitude that you can show to help yourself and encourage others? But the fruit of the Spirit, uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit means it's the Spirit has brought this fruit out in you. The Holy Spirit has used you like a tree and he's making fruit off you, right? And this is the fruit he's bringing. Love. That's not something that you can get right or wrong. It's not a plus minus. It's not a, we all know what love is. But let's put it down to it's an attitude or a behavior. Peace. Peace is something you can have. It's not something you get right or wrong. Patience, same. You get in the picture? Kindness, yeah, same. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Get in the picture? When God calls you to build a wall, he's not asking you to get it right. He's not asking you to be good at it. He's not asking you to think, oh, I've only got a little wall and he's got a big wall, so if I work really hard, God will give me a bigger wall. Right? No. He's saying to you, here's the wall I'm giving to you and I want you to do it in such a way that what you say, the way you live, your attitude affects other people and shows the personality and the nature of God. doesn't matter who you are, how old you are. Some of us here are a bit elderly. Some of us, like me, are middle-aged. Some of us can't count. Okay. Some of us are a bit younger. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what you're doing in life. God has a wall in front of you. He's asking you to build it, and this is what he wants you to do it like. And once you get hold of that, you start losing a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, and a lot of worry, and a lot of fear, because it's all about your attitude and about the way the Holy Spirit works through you. Now, I'm only talking to people this morning who have made the decision to build the wall. If you've made a decision to not build the wall, to rebel against God, then you come under, well, actions have consequences. You will stand before God and have to give an account of your life. And God will judge you accordingly. And we have this wonderful word, grace. The reason why I can ask God to come into my life and help me is not because I have done anything. It's because he's giving it to me. So here are the things for those of us who are Christians. You're going to build the wall. Recognize you can't get it right. Recognize that you need God to be with you while you've got the trowel in one hand 
the sword of the Spirit or the sword of the Word of God in the other hand. You need God with you. And recognize this is not a right you can earn. It's something God's grace gives you. And if you think you can get it right, if you didn't understand what I did on the piano, that's great, because that was the whole point of it. It's unexplicable. It's not understandable. It's there, but it, you can't understand it. God has created this world in such a way that you can't understand it. What we can understand is that God offers us his grace. And this is the choice for us. Are we going to be one of the people who is building the wall, or are we going to be one of the people who is going to resist? Maybe there are some of us who aren't sure. And Nehemiah has those people, and he persuades them, and they come around, and they make a decision. They go one way or the other. Where are we? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So, simple message this morning. Let's come back to that thought. Nehemiah has been sent out to get people to build a wall. You've been sent out to build your wall of your life. Are you somebody who is following God? Someone who's not sure? Someone who has made a decision, I'm going to follow God. God's grace is there for you if you have decided you're going to follow God. It's on offer to those who have decided they're not going to follow God. This morning... Just make this little mental step, this little check this morning in your heart. Am I trying to get it all right? In which case, give up. Am I trying to do my best and show the fruit of the Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit to help me? If you do that, you're taking a step towards a very blessed, and may I say, stress-reduced life. Because you've given up trying to get it right. You're not going to. But the Holy Spirit is there, and God is there to help carry you along and help you see that we're doing this for him, not for us. So let's just pray. Father, Lord, I pray for all of us here this morning that we all may enjoy God's fellowship. We all may enjoy having God in our life. We all may enjoy that those moments when we look to you and we say, Lord, I'm lost, but you are still with me. Father, this is a gift of your grace by which we can live our lives in a daily way. Help us to give up being right. Help us to give up seeking to be right. Help us, Lord, to seek to be holy, to seek to be like you to let these, the fruit of the Spirit come out of our lives and to have our confidence in your presence. We thank you, Lord, this is a gift of God. We cannot earn it. You've given it by grace. Amen.